One of the things that I uh, forget to do when I'm given too much responsibility are, are things like take up the offering. And so I'm going to uh, pray for the offering to go around. If you're a guest, don't worry about these buckets. You, you can participate if you want, but it isn't our aim. Our aim is that those who come here to our church and are connected in our church would give sacrificially. It's what we do as followers of Jesus. And so I'm going to pray, and then they'll, they'll make these buckets go around. Jesus, we ask that you would free us up to give joyfully and cheerfully and willingly, not like those who give under compulsion. Uh, we, we ask, Lord, that you would give us deep joy in understanding that when we give you tithes and offerings, it's just they're tokens, really tokens in comparison to what you poured out on us. We ask that you would release our guests from any guilt in giving, Lord. Use these gifts now for the accomplishment of your purposes in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thanks, guys, for doing that. I'll I'll just tell you uh, as they're going around, uh, what an incredible, crazy week it's been for us. Uh, You know, I know that we've been thinking about storms and so forth, but we also, it's kind of funny and kind of ironic, uh, we were praying earlier in the week that this storm would both move and move back uh, because yesterday my oldest son got married. Yeah, well, who's right? We're halfway home. Uh, and so <laughs> uh, it was a glorious wedding. It was kind of an Israeli wedding. It was a great party, and uh, there was a lot of anxiety early in the week about what the weather was going to be like. There wasn't a drop of rain. It was beautiful. It was a great, great day. The sanctuary was extraordinary. I wish I had a picture. Well, actually, I'm kind of glad I don't because I don't, we, we might not be able to handle the wedding influx. It was absolutely gorgeous in here. It was a beautiful setting and a beautiful day. Thank you, Chief Usher. And, uh, and we, uh, it was just a great, great time. And now... Uh, all of that prayer that moved, you know, that helped to push that storm out and delay it. Now, next Saturday, our dear friends, the Intriagos, have a wedding here. <laughs> so now we're praying that storm will get out of here. No more delays. Get out of here uh, so that there won't be any bad weather towards the end of the week. Uh, so it was an incredible weekend for us. Um, we had uh, intended or that a, a, a very dear friend of mine was going to be here today to share with us, and she had to cancel because of storm concerns, because she has to fly out of the country. And, and so they earlier had a slide up that said guest speaker Jeff Henderson because they thought that was really funny. Uh, I don't know if that's a slight on uh, you know, being gone or, or, or that, that uh, you're stuck with me. But if you're a guest, you're stuck with me. And I'll give it my best. I promise you this isn't some half-baked old message. This is timely, and it's a word for us for today. And so um, if you have your Bibles, more money? Awesome. Uh, it, If you have your Bibles, open them to James chapter 1. The message today could literally take us from Genesis to Revelation. We could go anywhere, virtually any chapter, any book of the Bible, and we could find passages, narratives. We could find Proverbs and Psalms and prayers. We could find letters to churches that are that are focusing in on this topic of testing. And uh, we have been talking the last few weeks about, I want you to imagine it this way, our church is called Maranatha, which could be interpreted in the past sense, the Lord has come. He's come, and he has ushered in the kingdom of God, and because he's come, there is 
great significance to our lives because of his life, death, and resurrection. Amen? Or we could interpret that word by moving the A and the second A uh, this way, and it becomes Maranatha, and it means the Lord is coming. And then we look forward to the coming of his kingdom and when, we'll co- when he will come and restore all things, make all things beautiful, all things right. And in a sense, we live in between. The book of Titus says he came once in grace. First time he came was all about grace. It says he's coming again in glory. Next time he comes, it's all glory. First time grace, next time all glory. And so um, we live in between. And what I, what I want you to imagine is I want you to imagine that much like Jesus pronouncing himself here as the embodiment of the kingdom, when he says in Mark 1, he says, the time has come. Like the, pro- the prophetic words have been fulfilled about a Messiah being born in time. He said, that time's come. I'm it. He doesn't say things like, you know, there's a story about a path, and I'm kind of like the path. There's a story about a gate. I'm kind of like the gate. There's a story about, he says, I am the way. I am God. I am the resurrection. I am truth. You know, he defines himself in all these ways, but yet he also says something about the kingdom being near. Like it's here, but there's still something and I, coming, and I want you to imagine, you know, the Lord at that door back there, knocking at the door, and we, we all know, and I say to you, look, he's here. He's getting ready to come in. How would we posture ourselves? How would we position ourselves you know, for him coming, how do we, you know, I, and I think some of your, your inclinations, you'd straighten up and, you know, and, and get your back, you know, and, you know, try to look good. But if you think deeper, like, what would we do? How would we posture ourselves? And the first week we talked about the, the, the importance of joy. And then we built on that last week with obedience and said, really, it has to be joy-filled obedience. And this week, I want to bring in the element of posturing, posturing ourselves via testing. And so... James chapter 1, verses 2 to 12, and then we'll pray and we'll go through it. You can follow on the screen if you don't have Bible on your phone or with you. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Now, James is going to unpack a bit what kind of, like, he's like, testing can come in different ways, and I'm going to just read through that. He says, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Some translations say made perfect. If any of you lacks that wisdom that you need for the perseverance during the time of testing, um, you should ask God for it, and it will be given to you. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded, unstable in all he does. He's saying that when the testing comes, if you're, not, if, you don't, if you're not asking for the Lord for the wisdom to understand the nature of the test, you're just like a boat being tossed about on the seas. You're double-minded. That's not, make, that's not passing the test. And then he goes about a different way to talk about it. He says in verse 9, the brother, the person, sorry, I have an older, my Bible's an older translation. I'll read it off the screen. The per- that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Verse 9, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. So if you're in a place of humble service, you should be good with it. You should be proud of it. And people who are rich should take pride in their humiliation. Who wants to sign up for that one? <laughs> 
since they will pass away like a wildflower, for the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom fails and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, under testing, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. I love the book of James. It gets right at it. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would open your word for our hearts, that you would till the soil of our hearts, that we might be fertile soil, not rocky or a place where the weeds would choke out the seed. We ask, Lord, that you would till our hearts so that the word would go deep within us, it would take root, and it would grow and bear fruit. Lord, if you're going to do that work amongst hearts, then start with mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody needs testing. This is the nature of, of life outside of the kingdom of God even, but certainly inside of the kingdom of God. There's a prayer that you maybe have, uh, it's a good prayer for us to pray. It's a prayer of thanksgiving where we say something like, you know, thank you, God. Uh, so far today, I've done a good job. I haven't gossiped. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been greedy, grumpy, or nasty. I haven't been selfish or overindulgent in any way. I've had self-control, and I'm very thankful for all of that. But in a few minutes, Lord, I'm going to get out of bed. And from that point on, I'm probably going to need some help with the day. There's, there's, there's a sense in which we face this, you know, every day because of, uh, because of who we are. When we sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound it saved a wretch like me. It might be offensive to our human minds, but in our hearts we know that that's appropriate for us to sing, that we, we struggle every day and we need testing. There's an old uh, Union Pacific Railroad uh, story about when it was being constructed that the, one of the engineers ordered that, that a train, when the bridge was constructed over a large canyon in the west, the train actually be brought to the middle of the bridge with a triple-weighted load and then left there. Uh, just to, to leave for 24 hours. And one of the workers said, what are you doing trying to break the bridge? And he, he said, no, I'm trying to prove that the bridge won't break. He was, he was acknowledging the, 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 the value and the, the necessity of proof, of something being proven. And our lives require, the Lord is so gracious in his sovereignty to either cause or allow that kind of proving to come into our lives that we like that. Or he doesn't do it to break us but to, to grow us up so we won't. Every Christian, particularly leaders, need to have a theology of testing. If you don't, if you don't, uh, and if you don't, if you aren't willing to have them or see them as they come in your life, the test that the Lord ordains in our lives, then we live beneath his intentions for us, and they're, they are intended to form us, to, to build us up in him, and to forge us, you know, for that when he comes in glory and for his purposes. Like I said, the scriptures are replete. I love how, how the Psalms say things like Psalm 26, prove me, O Lord, prove me, try me, test me, test my heart and my mind. Or Psalm 66, for you, God, tested us. You refine us like silver. In school, how many of you like tests, by the way? There occasionally are people I've found that are, that are they're usually masochistic, that, that like, like tests, you know. Um, but in school we're tested, and the reason we're tested there is so the institution can determine whether we're competent enough to, 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 pro to, to progress to the next level. 
And, and, and if you're a wise student in school, then you have, and if you have any vision at all for the future, if you're not just living completely in the day, then you know that you have to prepare for a test by studying and making sure that you have at least the minimum, if not all, you can that's required to face the test and pass it, right? It's simple. You understand this concept? And far too many of us don't approach divine testing with the same exact mentality in the same exact way. Too many Christians waste tests. The Lord is so good, so gracious that he would allow us to, to face these tests, to grow us up. And so many of us fail them because we fail to even recognize the value of them, of them coming. And we keep taking the same test over and over again because we don't realize that God is intending to use them to forge us into adulthood, spiritual adulthood. And so we remain in a place of infancy because we just take the same test over and over and over again. Right now, particularly if you're a believer, you have either just been tested by God, you are being tested, or you're about to be tested. And as you prepare to face uh, a test, the question is, are you? Are you prepared? Are you ready and willing? Proverbs 17 says this way, the crucible is for silver, the furnace is for gold, and the Lord, he tests hearts. And so this is something that he's, he's deeply invested in. And I want to give you just quickly a few truths about tests, and then I want to go through some different types of tests that are counterintuitive. These aren't the kind of tests that you would normally think of. These are types of tests that I think that are, that are deeper, and, and uh, uh, they might kind of, I, I hope at least one of these will be something you can take to lunch and chew on, one, of, one that I'm going to give you. But let me just give you um, some of the types of tests that are out there. They're, they're they are necessary, and they are important for us. And if you're going to grow, if you're going to lead particularly, if any of you, you know, desire, have a calling in your life to lead in any way, shape, or form or to grow, then you need to understand and be prepared. And they're, they're coming. The Lord will bring them even with force. And let me give you some truths about them. Number one, they're frequent. Almost perpetual. Almost perpetual. That's not a bad thing. In the early days when we are tested, uh, the mistakes that we make in testing, they have almost... They have very little consequences, sometimes almost no consequences. They're almost tests like practice tests. It, you know, kind of like when you're, when, you're, when you're taking the practice test. When I was a kid and uh, we had driver's ed, you started on a little machine, no consequences. Then you graduated to the little chained-in yard where you could drive a car. And then my favorite thing to do is it had a brake on both sides. And so when your buddy was driving, you would jam that brake on. And we would see how fast we could go on the back, the back stretch. And then the PE teacher, the, the, drive, or the driver's ed teacher was usually like our wrestling coach. You know, he would usually sit there with his hat down and an umbrella over, and he would usually scream, you know, when we were going 30 miles an hour. And one day, one of my friends ran that car through the, through the fence because he was trying to break the record. And the, the point is, is as our tests increase, the consequences of our tests increase, Right. As we grow and as our influence grows, the impact of our mistakes, our mistakes becomes greater. And so we need frequent testing. We always need to be tested and receive. Really, here, here's, the, here's the goal of that, our frequent tests. Thank you. You can hear it in my voice, huh? Amen. Too much singing last night. <clears throat> oh, there's a little dancing, too. Oh, you want chicken dance right now? <laughs> Cue the music, boys. <laughs> Not only do we need the testing, 
here's the part that none of us really like, and I'm going to tell you it's the most important part of the frequent testing. There's critical analysis that comes in the aftermath of a test, the feedback that helps to reveal the blind spots that if we don't take that critical analysis part and we don't acknowledge it and deal with it, we never grow. We need brothers and sisters around us who love us and are able to grow, help grow us up. And so open yourself up to that. These tests are not just frequent. They have to be passed. I mean, I think you can have in your mind, I know particularly when, I'm not going to look over this way, but when you're a little younger, sometimes you, you, you know, everything in life seems like an algebra test. You know? I mean, like, why am I taking this test? It's never going to matter. They seem arbitrary. But I'm telling you, it, it, look, get your mind out of, like, just analogies and get it into the divine testing. Divine tests are never arbitrary. They're given to be passed. They're given for our good. Uh, the qualities possessed in a test that God allows or causes to come into our lives are needed. Those qualities are qualities that are needed for future promotion to grow up. Without those qualities, he won't promote you. One of my favorite things to do is to, uh, on, on the weekdays when I pass through here, and there's a, uh, the Yesha group that meets here, the Taekwondo group that are in here, they have belt testing. And one of the things that I like is to peek in and see them doing their, you know, their preparation. I really like it because I, I love Kyle as a teacher. And what Kyle recognizes is he doesn't just teach you what you have to learn in order to pass a test just to get by. What he's saying to you is everything I teach you is actually the qualities you're going to need for the next level you're going to. And so tests are not, like his tests aren't arbitrary. The tests are actually building blocks for what we need. And we have to recognize that the Lord is gracious to bring these in. Some tests are seasonal. Some tests are for a lifetime. They define us. Consider Saul's hasty sacrifice. Or consider Peter's denials. If that's the end of the story, then, then they would define us in horrible ways. But they don't disqualify us. Even when we fail, the Lord is good and gracious. And brings them back to us again. The tests matter. They always precede promotion. So he does test us for the purpose of bringing us up in, in, in the world. With that said, we need to know the difference between self-promotion and God-promotion. They're not the same. Self-promotion is wonderful because it requires no testing. What test do you need to promote yourself? But when we promote ourselves, guess what? We're not really safe in that place because when God, you know, w without the divine testing, the proving that comes with it, we can be knocked back down. Divine promotion is what you actually want in life because divine promotion is invincible, regardless of, of, what, of what or who or how we're opposed. The way I always think of this is, is this. That, you know, have you ever heard the expression, new levels, new devils? You ever, how many of you have heard that, new levels, new devils? It's really true. But I don't like the way, see, I think it gives too much credit to the enemy. I think the way, it, the way it works is this, is that, you know, you bend your knee one Sunday morning at church or you're listening to something at home or you're in a small group with friends or you're in Sunday school or you're at, you're at youth camp. Wherever it is, you come to know the Lord and that establishes this new beachhead, this new foundation you can't fall off of, right? You can't fall off of the floor. I'm now a believer. I'm a son, a daughter, you know, of the Most High God and this is who I am. And then the Lord says, well, that's great, but I want you here, all right? And so there's this, there's this place, and there's this new place. And guess what's between this and this? There's an incline. And the enemy, you know where the enemy camps? He camps on the incline. Because he knows now that you're here, he can't 
he, he can't knock you down below the foundation. So what he just says, the last thing in the world I want is I, want you, I don't want you to get to the next level. So he'll oppose the incline. But guess what? The Lord loves the incline. The Lord says, fine, go for it. Have you ever read this little book called Job? God's not threatened by the enemy saying, consider my servant Jeff. He says, fine, go for it. Because the worst case scenario is you're going to knock him down to that level. And I am resurrection. (laughs) What are you going to take from him? I can't give back to him twice or four times or a hundredfold. And so we don't worry about that because uh, our self-promotion, we can be knocked down from. Just climbing a ladder in life, isn't, that's not evidence of a promotion. We should always ask, Lord, are you testing me? Is there a test? Am I passing? What do you want to do with my life in this season? And then these tests are necessary in order for us to be, if you want to be used by God in any significant way, then we have to invite this to come into our lives. And sometimes we're tested privately. Sometimes we're tested publicly. If you want a public ministry, you better be prepared for public testing. One of those tests copes with our hiddenness, and the other one, co- co- we have to deal with public humiliation. And the Lord is not above that kind of testing that will bring us down low when we, when we get too high in self-promotion. And all of us are tested necessarily. We need it. And let me just give a note now. I'm going to go into different kinds of testing. I'm going to use the word calling a lot. And what I mean by calling, because some of you are going to go, well, I don't really know what my calling is, or I'm not really sure I am called. Let me tell you what I mean by calling. The primary definition of your calling, there are primary and secondary callings, okay? How many of you are believers? All right, like half of you. So those of you who who are bold enough to raise your hand, the primary call on your life, I'm just going to end this for you forever so you don't ever have to worry about it. The primary call on your life is to be and to make disciples, to bring God glory through your following of him and your helping others to come to know him. The secondary calling on your life is something else. Maybe it's a bit more specific. Maybe it's seasonal. Maybe it's permanent. But the, the, the primary way that I mean calling is being and making disciples, growing in the image of God, being more like Jesus and helping those around you to become more like him, all right? And that's what, when I use the word, that's what I mean. So now I'm going to give you some types of tests. These are not the types of tests you might be used to, but these are tests you better take note of. You ready? Here's the first kind of test. The test of small things. The test of small things. What do I mean by this? Here's what I mean. I mean, what do you do when you're asked to fulfill a task that you're overqualified for? What do you do when you're faced with something that feels beneath you? The test of small things is critical. It's critical for all of us as believers, but particularly for those of us who feel some call in our life to lead in some capacity to establish integrity and meekness and authenticity that that lends itself to real authority. Jesus, when he'd done all the stuff that he needed to do to, to, to pour into his 12 or really 11, you know, leaders that he's going to build, establish the church around these guys, when it says that he wanted to show them the full extent of his love, like he'd shown them his love, but it says now he wanted to show them the full extent. He shows them the full extent of his love by putting on a, an outer garment, an apron, and getting down on his hands and feet and, and washing their feet. Jesus washed feet and bled on a cross. He wasn't afraid of going low. 
The higher the call to lead, the lower you have to go to serve. It's Philippians 2. If you go study Philippians 2 and you draw it out, here's the way you draw it out. The the Philippians 2 starts with Jesus in heaven equal to God, right? It says he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. Why? Because he is equal with God. He didn't have to grasp it. So here he is in heaven, and it said said he emptied himself of everything, and so he lowers himself, and he becomes a man. That's pretty significant lowering. But then it says... He was willing, actually, to lower himself even further and take on the form of a servant. You go, that's pretty low. And it says, well, actually, he was willing to lower himself even further and die. You go, that's pretty low. You go, well, actually, he was actually willing to die in the worst possible death that he could die. Publicly being humiliated and shamed, he died on a cross. And it says, therefore, God raised him up. Brought him back to life. Right? Restored him in a resurrected body. He's now a resurrected man. He's, Jesus right now is, is in a resurrected body, and he's a man. He's fully God, but he's still, he's got a real body, and he's a real, if he walked in right now, he would, he'd be a person. Right? So he's, he's, he's brought back to his, to resurrected manhood, but that's not just it. He was actually raised back up into heaven, but not just raised back up into a place in heaven, but raised up in a place where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Jesus is willing to go to the lowest place Trusting the fact that because of the nature of the goodness of God, that he'd be brought to the highest place. If you want to go anywhere with the Lord, avail yourself first and foremost of the test of small things. Who are you when you're asked to do something that seems insignificant? All right, second one, the test of motives. The testing of our motives comes in a million different ways. I'm not going to spend much time in any one of these because I've got a few of them to go through. So if you want more, we, buy me a cup of coffee. We'll sit down and talk. The, the testing of our motives. The testing of our motives can come in a ton of different ways. Sometimes it's through the offer of, uh, uh, the offer of like favor and blessing, like Jesus was brought into the wilderness and tested in the wilderness by the offer of favor and blessing, like you can, I'll give you everything you want. You can have the whole world. Right? And, and sometimes it, it, it comes through opposition and persecution. Sometimes we're tested by, not just by giving, some, by, by the temptation of being given something that seems attractive, but sometimes we're, we're, our, our, our motives are made plain by the testing that comes through opposition and persecution. Or we, we, you know, there, were, there were people, particularly in the early church, who claimed that they would go and die for God, but when the time came, they couldn't. They, their hearts were revealed. There was a proving that happened in the time of testing. And the test that happens in, of our motives tends to show whether we're true to ourselves. And through it, we either gain integrity or lose it. And our motives matter. I, 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 I use this illustration all the time, but I, only, I return to it because it's such a simple and clear way to articulate how important it is. Here's the deal. If you stumble into the right thing with the wrong motives, it doesn't really mean you pass the test because our motives matter. And, the, and the, the way that I always think about this in my mind is I think of like if it's Byron and I, Byron is a, he's also a pastor, he's a good one. And if Byron and I were working in the same situation, Byron would probably be more qualified. I think he's a bit older. He has at least as much education. He has more experience. So he's, so he's, so he might be, pro, you know, prone to, so Brian, Byron and I are up for the same job and we go out for lunch one day and because I really in my heart want it, and I know that Byron wants it when we're walking down the street for lunch, just at the last second, I push Byron out into the street in front of a, in front of a truck that's coming. 
But then at the last second, the truck driver actually like has a heart attack or sneezes and yanks the wheel up onto the curb and runs me over. And Byron is fine. What do I look like to the world? I look like a hero. I saved Byron in that moment. But, it, but in the next instant when I'm standing before the Lord, or I'm smashed before the Lord, he's not looking at the actions that the world sees. He's saying, you know, your heart is horrible. Our motives matter. The test of motives is always revealing of, of whether we're true to ourselves or not. Third, the test of hiddenness. Particularly if you want to be a leader, this is a huge one. We need to be true to our calling before we're given any platforms or given an opportunity for our calling to be expressed or exposed. One of my favorite missionaries, a guy by the name of Hudson Taylor, who went and opened up all of China to the gospel, he, he learned Chinese. He translated almost all of the New Testament in Chinese himself by learning Chinese so he'd be ready to go. He began to minister through his learning medicine and sharing the gospel in England for a lot of years before he could get on a boat and get to China. And he basically came up with this idea. If you won't do it in England, you'll never do it in China. And so for me, there's a deep, deep beauty in this test of hiddenness. It's what are you willing to do before anybody sees it? We develop personal integrity in our calling by investing time and energy in our hearts and our lives in the formation of our gifts before they're seen by anybody or acknowledged by anybody. When you want to, do you want to know one of the greatest signs of leadership? Do people follow you even though there's no platform? Do people come around you even though there's no platform? All right, enough there. Next, here's one, the test of possible promotion. So we've dealt with some of the areas of hiddenness and and behind the scenes. But now, here's the question. Will we stay true to ourselves and our calling when, a, when there's a potential promotion or, or a platform is on the horizon? So the Lord is saying in Proverbs and Psalms things like that silver is a crucible, you know, or silver is a furnace and gold is a crucible, and he'll use these for testing. So what happens to us when there's, when, when in our calling when there's a potential promotion or a platform that's on the horizon? Do the prospects of blessing and prominence and somebody actually knowing the way that the Lord is, is, is planning to use us, does it deter us from our course? And if you're, asking, if you're asking yourself right now, why is Jeff going through all these tests that have to do with sorts of things like, you know, leadership and, and platforms and so forth? It's because I believe our church is in a time of transition where our intention is to distribute everything. You know, if you came and watched a film that we showed a couple weeks ago that we were part of, Sheep Among Wolves 2, where we talked about, um, the film talks about some of the problems that exist in the church in the West include that most times, you know, we, we, we define church by Sunday morning church experiences. And so we come and we sit down and we listen to a guy give a monologue for 40 minutes, which is exactly what I'm doing. And so we... We believe that we need to shift that culture so that we're actually distributing everything. And so you become far less consumer-oriented and far more invested yourself in, in, in the tests that will prove your heart that you will serve the Lord no differently. It may, your calling, your secondary calling might look different from me, but your primary calling is the same as mine. I got to be and make disciples. You got to be and make disciples to the glory of God. That's why I'm walking through things that have to do with your rise into, into, into leadership. All right, you can, yeah, you can, some, some of you, a couple of you get it. 
So the question becomes in that area of possible promotion, can you be bought? That's really, you know, you see this all the time. The, the two things that seem to be most glaring in the, in the Christian headlines, how many know there's like Christian headlines? But, you know, it doesn't really compare to real headlines. You know, it's like, it's like Christian music awards, you know. There's, there's, it's not really a thing compared to the, the real awards. But in the Christian headlines right now, there's two camps. Leaders who are failing morally and leaders who are deconstructing their faith. It's part of a journey, right? That's what gets the headlines. But in my mind, what's not getting the headlines, but what matters so much are foot soldiers who love Jesus deeply and are willing to invest everything, plow everything, sell everything they have to buy the pearl of great price, to buy the field, and say, Jesus, if you're there, that's what I want. And they may not be seen a whole lot, but the Lord is going to raise up. There's a friend of mine in that movie, Holger, who says, he talks about the little ones like Zacchaeus and all little ones. The Lord is investing deeply in the calling that's on your life to raise you up. Don't worry about the, 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 the platform leaders. The, 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 God's moving away from personality cults. Where people, you know, you follow a leader, that leader will eventually fail and then your faith fails. Don't worry about people who are deconstructing their faith. That's part of the journey. That's not, there's nothing new in that. Think about the community around you, the people who are right around you, the few people who are around you who are actually constructing their faith and building it up, the little ones the Lord is using because there's something powerful that's going to happen there. Well, we compromise when we're faced with gain. What if we're offered a promotion? Again, I'm not talking, you can apply it in your, in your job job, but I'm, I'm thinking more in the area of divine promotion. What if you're offered a promotion in the area of serving the Lord in an area that's contrary to the path that you're walking. Do we, do, do, do we ever speak to leaders differently because we perceive they have the ability to promote us? You know what I'm talking about, right? People who are like, you know, I, I might adjust the way I talk because if, I, you know, if, I, if, I, if I'm a little more impressive, then maybe you'll see me and, and you'll bring me into the, into the spotlight. Or do we trust the Lord to promote us and to honor us in, in, you know, as, as the Lord desires? All right, I'll move along. The test of showing up when the stakes are low. Are you ready for this one? The test of showing up when the stakes are low. I, th- I, I think of things like, um, like next weekend, September 7th, the saturate thing. You know, I feel like the stakes are really high for something like that because we're sharing the gospel with the entire area. But really, we're going to go hang stuff on people's doorknobs and, and in many cases, it's really not that high a bar for what we'll have to do. And so the, 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 the test is showing up when the stakes are kind of low. In other words, here's the way I think of it. I think this really matters to the Lord. Will we be present and punctual when no one's looking? Will we show up when the stakes are low? Will we, will we, will we cultivate that place of integrity in our, in our own lives, in our character, in the, in the love and the grace of God? just living before him and living before an audience of one. Will we say, Lord, if you're the only one that sees me show up and pull this weed, it's enough. It's enough. The stakes are low here. And uh, one of the fastest ways I think you can erode unity in the body and vibrancy is when we don't show up. And, and I'm not, I, look, I'm not saying this, is a, is, this isn't a correction, uh, but I think as we look at a theology of testing, the, que- you know, the question becomes, for me, it works like this. If I know that you're going to be here, if I know, Rob, you're going to be here Saturday morning at 6 a.m., I'm not going to show up at 6.05. I'm going to be here at 5.45 because I'm not going to let you down. 
But if I got to get up and uh, by myself just to spend the time with the Lord, who's going to know if I don't? It's just me and the Lord. And so it, the stakes are high in that, but in our mind, it seems like the stakes are low. And so whether it's the Lord, an audience of one, or it's something else that doesn't seem like it's a lot, why would we be willing to, to show up, to be there, to never not, you know, to, to not leave them hanging? Why? Well, I tell you why we, we, we want to cut that out is because when we don't do that, it maximizes opportunities within the body of Christ to bear offense. And if, you, if you've been around me at all, you know that my, the primary drum that I bang over and over again is that the only thing that offends me are offended Christians. I can't understand how we should be the least offended people in the world. And nothing, nothing grows up offense in the body of Christ more quickly than when we let each other down. And so I say don't do that. Let's make that one of our tests. Next. Quickly, the test of stewardship. Will we be wise and generous with what we have? <clears throat> how you use your resources when you have very little or nothing is how you will use it when you have a lot. It's a delusion. It's an absolute delusion to think that you'll be wise and generous when, you're, when you have wealth, but you won't when you're poor. It's, it's a delusion. It doesn't just apply to finances. I'm not just talking about your money. I'm talking every kind of resource, your time, your talents, your gifts, everything you have to offer the Lord. When you feel like you have very little of it and you're willing to give it to him and pour it out on him, then that will help take care of you when you have a lot. If you just think, I'll do it later, you won't. You have to start. Some people are wise and stingy, and some people are generous and stupid. Right? We don't want to be either. We want to be wise and generous. There is, a, there is a place where the Lord can grow us up in that. All right, I'll just leave that one there. I don't think that needs much more. Next, and there's just two more, and then we'll be done. You got room for two more? You got room for two more? Yeah, all right. The test of injustice. I think this is my favorite one, particularly for leaders. If you consider yourself a leader in any form or fashion, I don't care whether you're, you know, you, you, you have a job where you have, you know, one person who works, you know, around you, uh, uh, or if you are leading an organization or you're in ministry. This is particularly true for leaders, the test of injustice. What are you like? What happens to your calling when you're slandered, stolen from, lied to, gossiped about, or betrayed? How do you respond? Do you lose your joy? Are you less obedient to how the Lord would have you live your life when that happens than when that's not happening. The peace that passes understanding, any, any fool can have peace that can be understood. The peace that passes understanding is the unique deposit for believers that when it's, you know what, it's hit the fan, that we haven't lost it. So when we are in those situations, do we respond in humility, in mercy, or in pride and anger? Do we believe in divine vindication? In other words, do we trust the fact that the Lord's got it? Or do we feel the need to defend ourselves? The test of injustice, it comes into the life of every Christian, but particularly leaders. And most leaders I know would say that the test of injustice is the test that makes or breaks leaders. It is the primary test that will grow you up quickly in the Lord or will just derail you back to like the game of life or shoots and ladders, whichever it is when you go all the way back to the beginning. Do you guys know there's board games, your actual pieces and all that? It was really cool. When we were kids, we would actually get out and hang out as families and play board games, and we would look at each other and all that. You should try it sometime. Monopoly's a fun one, too, except in my family, we don't play Monopoly because my wife doesn't allow cheating. <laughs> she doesn't think that you're a rule follower. I know. You're a rule follower. 
She knocks the whole board over and says, I'm done. It's the test of injustice. <laughs> this test, the test of injustice, accomplishes more than you could ever possibly imagine in your life. It is so significant. How do you respond when somebody slanders you, steals from you, lies to you, gossips about you, betrays you? How do you respond? And it accomplishes so much. And can I give you the takeaway of all these tests? This is the one, because again, this is my drum. I see it all the time. I see Christians get derailed so much by this. Here's the takeaway. Are you ready for it? This is a simple action point. I got to know you're ready. Is there anyone you hold a grudge against? You don't have to answer. Take it inside. Is there anyone that in any way at all you hold a grudge against? Maybe it's somebody you know. Maybe it's somebody you don't know. Maybe it's somebody who lives close to you. Maybe it's somebody who, you, you know, you'll, you've never met and never will. Maybe it's over something like a difference of opinion. Maybe it's over something significant that they've done to you. If there is anyone, any picture in your mind right now, well, you know, there is that guy or there is that nation or whatever it may be, you have to figure out in your heart, first before the Lord, some way to go to them. You got to go and you got to lay it down and you got to say, hey, I'm not going to let, number one, you're allowing them to live rent free in your head. They're going to stay there and they're going to rule you. You're giving them rulership just by the grudge. Number two, you're disqualified at that point from growing at all because of the grudge. You're not going to grow beyond there. Here's the, God will not bless your life if you hold a grudge against somebody. It's as simple as that. If you got a grudge, you got somebody that fits in that category, step one for you isn't to go into any other area. It's to say, I got to get rid of this grudge. I got to let it go. I'm telling you, you will grow faster as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, by dealing with injustice more than anything else. If you'll just get rid of it and you'll start to love people that without him you'd hate. I don't care if it's a category or if it's a family member, who it is, if you've got a grudge, deal with it today. All right, finally, the test of praise. Brian, come on up because I'm really, I'm done. The test of praise is one that I like because it's what, how do we, what do we do? What happens to our identity when people speak well of us? When, when, when we're perceived in a good light, are we rooted in what they say or are we rooted in what God says? I have um, some friends that are, that are here, and one of my good buddies, Tim, who's here, we used to be in a group, an accountability group together, and when I started preaching, they would come and listen to me preach, and they said that... Um, you know, how many of you remember churches where the pastor would stand at the back at the end and shake your hand on the way out? Okay, I've been in that tradition, and I don't do it anymore for two reasons. One, I like to pray, and two, because people don't know what to say to you. So usually everybody just says, nice sermon. That was great, great, great sermon, preacher, exactly. And you go, well, what did you like about it? And they go, oh, the kids are crying in the car. I got to go. And, and so what you learn, so what they'd say is the only thing you could say is either nice sermon or nice tie, and I never wear a tie, so they'd always come by me and go, nice tie, nice tie, nice tie. And so, but how do you respond when you're perceived in a good light? Do you read your own press? You feed on the spirit of what other people say about you, or do you feed on what God says about you? Because if you begin to feed too much on what people say about you, guess what? 
when they say negative things about you, you'll feed on that as well. Root your identity in who God says you are. He delights over you. He rejoices over you as singing. He quiets you with his love. What people think about you and what God thinks about you are rarely ever similar. <laughs> Those are only a, a few tests. There's tons more. Those are the ones that I pulled out today that I thought would, would bear fruit for us. We all face them. Sometimes we face all those tests in short order, and some of them, you know, some, some of them multiple times at several critical junctures, we come back to them, and, and, and as we were singing about the Lord is our shepherd, Jesus will shepherd us through these tests as we shepherd his people. There's a story. It, it doesn't really connect to this directly, but it, I, I just was reminded of it this morning, and it, it, for me, is so significant in the way that God is so gracious to, I don't know, I guess the way I think of it is almost like he comes in and he sits beside us during the test and he tells us the answers. <laughs> and, and it was uh, a story that's out of a book about some Navy SEALs who went in to rescue some hostages. And when they went into the, I mean, it was a really, really, just a horrible situation. These people have been imprisoned a long time. And when they went in and they basically busted into the place and opened the doors and they said, come on, none of these prisoners would move. They'd become so accustomed to being, to being, you know, locked up and in their situation. They're so terrified. They just huddled together in a corner. And even though salvation, you know, awaited them, they were rescued. They, they, they really, they couldn't even find it to, to, to move. They couldn't accept what was being offered to them. And, and this, this one guy who recognizes what's going on took everything off that he had and he went and sat down with them and huddled with them. He curled up with them. And uh, he waited. He sat there on the floor and he didn't look at any of them. And, and finally, after staying there for a while, he got one of them to look at him and he said to him, he whispered to him, I'm an American and I'm here to rescue you. And that guy looked at him and he said, will you follow me? And the guy said, Yeah. And he got up. And once that one guy got up and followed the hero, the next guy got up. And they all got up and followed them out and did the same thing. And the story ends with all of those people rescued on an American aircraft carrier. I never, you know, I'm not so fond of it when people say, when preachers say you got to follow Jesus, but then make Jesus sound like a guy you'd, you'd hate to follow. But I like that story a lot. Because I like the idea of Jesus becoming a man and coming into my place of imprisonment and sitting down with me and wearing my skin and walking my life and then looking at me and saying, you know, I can get you out of here if you'll follow me. I think that's the way he helps us through tests. Put skin on. And so Jesus, I'm going to ask you to stand if you're able. We're going to close with a song and if you want to come up, you can come up and pray. But I'm going to pray, Lord, Test us. Be both the tester and be the answers to the test. Lord, make us like children in Sunday school where the answer to every test is Jesus.